Keepers of the Flame, the classic metal podcast with Rev Taylor and Darren Wall. Reviews, interviews, and conversation since 2021. Hello and welcome back once again to the 11th episode of the first season of Keepers of the Flame, the classic heavy metal podcast. Your source for all things metal, old school, and very fucking nerdy. Uh, my name's Darren Wall. With me, my co-host, Rev Taylor. How you doing, brother? Doing okay. A little tired, and it's only Tuesday, but um, <laughs> glad we get to talk about some heavy metal. And uh, even though it's a weekday, I've got a white Russian right here to, to fuel my uh, thoughts, appropriate and otherwise. So excellent. Yeah, I mean that's a bit different for us. Usually we record on Sundays. Uh, this will be released on a Sunday, so. It'll be your chance to, you know, do as you usually say, kick back, crack open a nice beverage of your choice. I don't drink during the week, so I am drinking a nice, crisp, refreshing Lime LaCroix sparkling water because I do not consume alcohol during the weekdays. Um, so, but it's a little different, but hey, I'm still stoked to be here and getting ready to talk about some metal. So, yeah, here we go. All right. So this week we have... Um... I believe the second album by a Belgian band called Thorium. Uh, album's called Empires in the Sun. Yeah, this album, these guys have been around, I guess, for a couple of years now. They've been in, they, they came around about in about 2016. Um, yeah, I guess they put out their self-titled debut in 2018. And now, as you mentioned, Empires in the Sun. This came out the 5th of March, uh, just a couple of weeks ago, on something called Freya Records, which I have never heard of. Um, and yeah, this is a very, uh, this is a, definitely a power metal band. Um, not pure European power metal all the time. They definitely get into like some rockier stuff and some Maiden-esque stuff, but you hear a lot of Halloween and Scanner and Gamma Ray going on. Um, and, and some epic stuff here and there. Yeah. Um. Well, what did you think? Let's just get let's get into <laughs> let's get the brass tacks here. I had a hard time with this record. I'm gonna be real. Um, I, I I had a few fair few issues with it, um, but the main issue I just had trouble. I know I listened to it the first time, and I noticed the production right away. Um, that and that's my main beef with this record is the production. Um, and I think the what I I think like I was probably I think at the time I was coming back from southern washington and i was listening to this stuck in traffic you know i was like literally gridlocked in traffic right and i think i text and i was like well this is a good time to get to know this record i remember texting you about probably a two min two minutes into it and just being like the production on this record is hilarious like it's everything is just slammed like maxed out it's 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 harkens back to the volume wars of the 2010s where mm -hmm. you know because the reason for that was because everyone was downloading these shitty mp3s in order to make it sound loud on your ipod they just were jacking everything up in the production end because that's how everyone was consuming records and now you know you have streaming you have high quality mp3s you have people buying cds and vinyl again it's not really necessary to produce an album like that but what happens when you do that is you wind up even though everything's turned up a lot you wind up with a thin sounding record and mm -hmm. this album does not, even though everything is slammed and turned up really high, it sounds oddly thin. 
Yeah, what I noticed is that certain things get kind of lost when the whole band is playing. So on a couple of these tracks, there may be an intro or something where the bass will sound super present and loud, for example. But then once everything kicks in, it's like it gets drowned in there. It just all gets really fuzzy. It's no dynamics. There's no dynamics on this in this production at all. There's no... It doesn't allow... They don't. The instruments aren't allowed to breathe. And when they are noticeable, you know, when it's... I'll say this, the guitar tone's pretty good. Um, the lead guitar's tone is pretty good. Um, there's nothing wrong with that. The drums sound tinny, really thin, and not very powerful. The vocal production is okay. The bass is atrocious. Like the, the production and the sound on the bass is gnarly. I, I was laughing, like the second song in, I have to admit, I started laughing because you know, it's, it's one of those bass sounds that's really, there's a lot of attack in it. It's really compressed and everything is, is jacked up to the maximum amount of soundscape you could take up in that compressed area. So it has that bouncy, like, bong, 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 bong sound. But it literally sounded like the, you know, like the Three Stooges or Slapstick Comedy when someone hits someone in the head, it goes, boing, boing, boing. <laughs> like, it sounded like, it was sounding like that at some times. And I was laughing. I was like, it's Three Stooges bass. <laughs> but it's it's like you know I like that clangy bass sound sometimes, especially in thrash metal. Like if you listen to Overkill records, you'll hear it done really well, or Exodus, newer Exodus records. But here it just it sounds weird and it sounds uh, it sounds really comical, um, and it's just not good. Um, yeah, I noticed a couple points, and and maybe we can talk about this more when we get to the song by song thing. But it almost sounds in a couple songs here, like they're kind of trying to pivot into kind of a thrash area, but not fully. It's like they're kind of trying to do a 30% thrash thing. And it, for me, really didn't work, but. <laughs> if this was a thrash album, because you know, thrash metal is, a, is more of a wall of sound for the most part when, you come to, when it comes to the production. Everything's right. supposed to be big and intense all the time. This production might've worked better for thrash metal, but for this type of, of music, it, it I don't know. I think it falls flat. And this is just, you know, for bands that people, you know, if there's any like inexperienced people in bands that might be listening right now, this is why production is so important. This is why it's important to think about what type of sound you want to put out there on your record. This is why it's important to dial in your instruments, play with microphones, hire a producer that knows what they're doing, talk to a professional, these things are all really important to make your record sound the way you want to, because, you know, it, it can, a bad, a, a bad, not necessarily even a bad, like an inappropriate production, I think in this case, can really screw you over. Mm -hmm. But I guess we'll get into it. And, you know, this is interesting because when I heard this, in this track, Dreams of Empire, the first track, I thought the rest of the album was going to sound a lot different than it did. Yeah, I mean, I, I always like, uh, I think that a really well-crafted acoustic intro shows some promise. Um, so we've got kind of like a, a semi-classical kind of um, little guitar, acoustic guitar noodling atmosphere kind of piece. Mm -hmm. It's even subtitled a, a pastoral, which is a, you know, a, a sort of form of, of classical uh, composition that's supposed to suggest uh, a country scene kind of. Um, so I can see where they're going for con conceptually here. It's like, you know, before Empire, you have the, the more bucolic kind of rustic, more simpler existence. 
and that's what this is trying to evoke. So, I, yeah. you know, it, we're actually off to a decent start with the intro. But does it fit the rest of the music? Was was my thing. I, I like the intro, and I yeah. I like the idea. I like the idea of it, and I actually really like the playing on it too. I was yeah. like, I was actually listening to this. I was getting stoked. Then the rest of the album comes on, and I don't think it fits the rest of the music. I would agree. Yeah, I would agree. So, so it's it, it, it's cool, but it seems a little bit out of place. But I mean, it's probably not a good thing, but it is one of the highlights of the record. <laughs> right. Uh, but again, as a as a track on its own, it's a great. It's it's awesome. So yeah, you know, I'm not I'm not, not going to knock it. It's 53 seconds long, though, so... Yeah, it's 53 seconds of really good, good really good classical-style acoustic guitar playing. Yeah. Um, that doesn't fit. <laughs> so then we get, um, you know, our, our real lead track, I guess, Exquisite, um, which I don't know what you think. I, I thought this probably was the strongest track on the album. Yes. Um, I, I, I thought this one was, you know, actually pretty cool, kind of straight-ahead power metal track um the guitars are really showcased here i mean this mm -hmm. is the band that uh i believe was you know founded by the guitarists it's kind of like for the guitar by the guitar kind yeah. of um approach here and and especially in the bridge we get a lot of um really fun lick switching and um one thing this band i think does pretty well actually is their little transitions between sections yeah they're slick like, yeah, they're slick and they're they're sometimes exciting. You know, they do that kind of. Um, uh, I don't know. As somebody who who came of age metal wise in the early two thousands, they do this thing that I associate with Dragon Force. Although I'm sure that bands are doing it before, where they'll like move through various keys and kind of various vibes in the solo as the guitarists try to one up one another. Yeah, yeah, that's I I, I actually did notice that too. That the, like the instrumental bridge bridge parts are kind of cool throughout yeah. the record. Yeah. Um, this one, yeah, this this is overall, um, as far as songwriting goes, I think the best one on the record. Um, we get the we get the ever so tr traditional scream, high pitched, you know, wail to start the song. Right. It is an epic one, I'll say that. You know, yep. it, it it he hits a few different notes, and it's 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 actually pretty cool. Um, first time I've heard the word exquisite featured in a metal song. I know. I thought, I thought that was kind of funny, but also kind of neat. Like I like it when power metal is a little playful sometimes. So. Yeah. I, I think it's funny. Cause you know, my immediate association with that word is my mom uses it to describe like, I don't know the feeling of getting into a hot bath or something. And it just yeah, does like, not it, seem. <laughs> it, me being a former chef and coming from the fine dining world, uh, right. you know, that was used to describe like flavor profiles and stuff. Right. <laughs> I haven't heard it. I have not heard it in a metal song. And, but I wasn't opposed to it. I thought it was kind of fun. Yeah. Again, my, the only problem I have on this song is the stupid production. And that's it. That's the only thing that gets me. Like the base, this is when the bass is really doing the three studios thing on, on this track, almost more than any other one. And that's the only thing that bugged me about this song. Other than that, it's, it's a, it's a very fun, uh, very fun power metal tune. Yeah, so. it's got it's got a little bit more. Um, I don't know. It's 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 got direction. I feel like it's a song that kind of knows what it's trying to do and and gets in and gets out and does it. And that's something that, to my mind at least, sadly is going to be lacking on the record. It's not the foreshadowing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so yeah, then we go. Well, at the end of the track, we also get the first of two times we're going to have a song that ends with an explosion and shattering glass. Yep, that so. too. <laughs> yeah, that too. So 
And then we have Powder and Arms Part 2, which I had to go back and realize that this was a reference to their first album. Right. So there's the, I guess they had Part 1 on their first album, which is, I guess, kind of cool, but I don't know. Like, I think and we, we, we kind of do it in our music, but it's a little more subtle. Like, you know, we do have two songs about the Serpent King and two songs about a wizard that are kind of connected. But if you don't, but we don't call it Part 2. Yeah, I I feel like that's a little alienating to the listener right off the bat. If you're like us and this is your entry point for this band, it is kind of odd. It was confusing. I mean, if you're Iron Maiden or you're Judas Priest, then sure. But I I was like, part two of what? And then I had to, then I eventually I went back and checked it out. Um, This is very, this song is like very, very happy Halloween metal. Yeah. Um, Which again, I love Halloween. It's not something I'm opposed to. Um, The bass is doing its it's it's clangy three suges thing again i noticed the vocals were a little bit pitchy on this song sometimes they were yeah and this is something that's also unfortunately going to be an issue i think throughout the rest mm-hmm. of the album here and there um i'm just I, I was kind of divided on the vocalist he does a lot of things uh that that do work he's yeah. got a lot going for him um but i think there's just a it's very effortful and it as, as a vocalist when i hear that i don't feel like i'm in it you're, feeling like, his, you're feeling his pain yeah i'm feeling his pain i'm feeling a little bit of pushing there and yeah. um i'm I, I he doesn't sound comfortable to me and he doesn't yeah. really sound in command of what's going on i mean that said there are some moments where he sounds really good um but yeah he just like the, the the rhythm of the the vocal line too just is a little odd in this i feel like it's not totally on point like it's kind of a little uh, a little you're, behind you're, almost kind of like it's lyrically it's kind of an interesting thing we've got a song about like um musketeers you know three mus- i don't know if it's actually about like the the three musketeers the characters but it's about that era of like you know rapiers and muskets and you know tall ships and like starched collars and cod pieces and stuff yeah which is something that uh, i mean i guess has been explored a little bit in in metal but it's different than the you know broadsword and and uh, furs kind of deal that we're kind of used to. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it, and this song, it's, again, it's it's okay. Um, I think you're right. You're absolutely right about the vocals. The vocal line is not exceptionally catchy or, yeah. or exceptional. Um, and that would have probably helped this song out a lot if, if it was, because it's a little bit of a generic power metal song. Um, it's a little riffier than the first one. It is. It is. I mean, it, it, it's it's a pretty, like I said, it's a pretty cool song. Um, the, produ- the production beats it up a bit and the the, the vocal, the pitchy, not so catchy vocals beat it up a bit. But yeah. overall, it's, 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 a, it's an okay song. It just has some execution issues. Yeah, it's, a, it's kind of a middle of the road sort of thing. This is another one and that kind of ends oddly. And this is the... St- it's not a big deal, but I, I just noticed across a bunch of these songs, we get some kind of strange choices for how to bring the song to a conclusion. Yeah, um, and you know they're very thought out and, and, and chosen. Yeah. You know, they're not lazy, they're just strange. Yeah, this one just doesn't resolve. It just kind of ends abruptly, kind of in the middle of the riff on the, like on the dominant. It doesn't go back to the one chord, which it doesn't have to, but it just, it feels oddly abrupt. Like I kept thinking that my... Uh, that my internet had gone out or something. Well, no, I, it's honestly, I'll be honest with you. It was time and they did, it's because they cut it in the studio. 
It's not like they ended the note there. They have to either produce or trim it. And you can yeah. hear the, you can hear that cut when you listen to this song. So. It makes me think like, you know, the powder, did the powder and arms go off and everyone just got, you know, blown yeah. up there in the end? I don't, know. I don't know what that was. Everyone's about. dead. Now it's great. Now everyone's dead. Now all the kids are going to be sad when they go to bed. Thanks guys. <laughs> but yeah, then, you know, the next song, where do we go? Um, I don't want to harp on it too much, but it really borrows from I Want Out by Halloween. Yes. Yeah. I'm, I'm no Halloween expert, and even I caught that. Yeah. You know? it, it's it's not to the point where I, I'm like stomping my feet mad like I usually get with plagiarism, <laughs> but it's pretty close. I mean, you, it, it follows a similar structure. The ver like the verses were very taken down with just the bass and the drums and a couple, you know, a couple little guitar licks here and there are um, very close. Uh, the guitar melody harmony thing over the main riff is very close. So, you know, we got a little bit of um, plagiarism going on here. That's a little too maybe a little too close for comfort, um, especially in this genre. I mean, it's just such. I want out is such an icon. It's the most probably arguably the most iconic Halloween song. I mean, you can't borrow from it that much. I, I heard the, uh, I heard the song and then I went and watched the video where you're like going into Michael Kiska's mouth for some reason. Yeah. It's a weird in and out. <laughs> yeah. There was definitely some, uh, I had some vocal issues with this. Um, I, I heard a few pitchy moments that were honestly to me, the most sort of standout wince moments of the album. Um, I, we all do it sometimes. We all have moments that don't quite sound great. We all get a little off pitch for whatever reason. We all push a little bit, but like it really, ideally that shouldn't end up on the record. Or if it does, it should be like, it should sound desperate and be, and, and serve a purpose. Like it should be dissonant somehow, yeah. you know, not just the ones that don't work is when it's just like, if you hear like some of those old black sabbath records where ozzy's like really like stretching for a note you can't quite get it or something or like you know or like even on like some of the older unleash the archer songs where britney really does a high-pitched scream and it just sounds desperate as hell even yeah. if it isn't quite the you know the right note for the the song like something like that where it's made to augmented atmosphere or have an effect or be dissonant sure. to have an effect it's cool but when it's just slightly off like this it just doesn't sound good no it doesn't and it kind of leaves me with the impression um, that I got to various other points that this vocalist has kind of, he's kind of been hung out to dry by the production a little bit. 100% like, dude. Yeah. 100%. That's a good point. Because a lot of the stuff that doesn't sound so great could have been fixed either by using another take or by, uh, you know, I don't want to advocate pitch correction, but like something like that, or even like there's a few points where the voice just sounds really kind of naked and dry to me. Mm -hmm. um in a way that like if it were my voice i'd probably be pretty uncomfortable with that being the sound that people were hearing because uh, it's not there's points where he just like is not quite comfortable and a little bit more of a, a, a wetter production or just a production that kind of like didn't i don't know paid a little bit more attention to the vocals in some regard would have potentially helped that a little bit i, I think in a song and, like this yeah you just you know, if, if budget constraints are a thing, and I don't know if they were or not, and if you got to take the mouse and nudge a note or two over to make it right, just do it. Yeah. Because, yeah. you know, when, it, when, it's, when, it's, when it's like this, it, it, it's a bother to the listener. Yeah. 
yeah it, it takes me out of the song when i hear it i'm like oh that's hmm I, it's hard to like be in the groove with the band and with the story he's trying to tell when i'm thrown out of it by that and yeah. and i think there's a way in which like a record should it, i mean it should represent the uh the prowess that we as musicians bring with our bodies and with our voices and everything but it should also represent the vision we have yes and what the the musical idea is we're trying to produce and what, what's the highest level that can be at that said i mean it's it's power metal is a tough tough genre for vocalists yeah um, it's it's one yeah. of the hardest because it's it's typically very high-pitched singing if you're following the traditional model and also uh, there's a lot of stuff in a major key and and i found especially in, in metal styles it's much harder to tune in a major key than a minor key because mm-hmm. um, you end up with that brighter sound you've got to tune the major third do re mi do mi if you get that that off a little bit it becomes really obvious whereas the minor third bad it bad it is a lot easier to to just kind of like lean into it doesn't sound quite as when you're dealing with the pentatonic scale you, you don't get that uh need for like the exact pitch precision that you do when you're singing in a major key like that and so uh these songs that are in a major key kind of suffer in that regard uh the, vo- the vocals don't sound quite as on pitch and they don't sound as easy uh, even though again in every song there's times when the voice sounds quite good he does certain things that sound really good yeah and then you know going back to your thing about power metal like this is it is a hard genre for most of the musicians it's it's a it's a it's a genre where you almost have to be a virtuoso to stand out i mean who are your competition halloween gamma ray primal yeah. fear like good god man those are heavyweights those are like serious players you know yeah so you got to be able to measure up and if you can't it shows, you know, because the, you know, people that and the fans who listen to this stuff for the most part, are, you know, nerds like us that have good mm-hmm. ears. So, yeah. but yeah, anyway, that's, uh, you know, that's, uh, I want, I mean, where do we go? <laughs> um, so the next one we got the, I got to know if it's a transformer song or not, but we got more than meets the eye. <laughs> um, I was hoping it would be about transformers, but I, I don't know if it is. So I didn't read the lyrics to be honest, but this one slows down. It's more of like a mid-paced kind of chugging thing. Um, the bass is doing its, its Three Stooges farting thing again, which is distracting me by this point. Yeah, it's, um, quite, it's quite evident on this particular track. Very evident. Yeah. Um, there are some dynamics, though, here. Like, the intro build is nice. Um, the main riff is pretty good. Um, I don't really have any complaints with the, the instrumental bits on this one it's it's kind of it should be a cool song the vocal melody falls really flat for me um it doesn't really it doesn't really take me anywhere that makes the song exciting i was hoping it would push it over the top but it it just for me it didn't um yeah this one to me was just like i didn't know what to do with this song it felt like it just sort of was wandering around and not really going anywhere exactly and it's it started really nice you know, yeah. I, I started to get stoked when I heard it and then it didn't go anywhere. And I think that that is just the case this, this time of like no sauce on the steak. Like I think if, right. if the guy had really delivered a vocal, this is one of those songs that like for a singer, it's kind of like a blank canvas because it's really not as much going on in this song. So, which is either as you, as you well know, I'm preaching to the choir, but you know, it, it it's either really fun and you can be really creative or it's a lot of pressure because you kind of got to 
deliver the goods. Right. And unfortunately here, I think and it's not even so much a performance issue. I mean, there are some performance issues in the song. It's mainly the melody he, he chose just confused me a little bit, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I, I didn't, I just didn't quite get the concept of the song either musically or thematically or lyrically. Um, I didn't, and yeah, I guess that's true. As, as a vocalist, a song like this, it's an opportunity to really, you have the chance to make it memorable. And I don't think he really did in this case. Uh, and that's something uh, with a lot of these songs, I didn't quite, there's not like a lyrical hook to get behind. And it's in, in, not in every case, but in several of these cases. And, um, you know, I, I understand the guy's not a, a, a native English speaker. And, and honestly, like all the Belgian people I've, meet, I've met speak like five languages, right? Because they speak mm-hmm. Flemish, they speak Dutch, they speak French, they usually speak some German, and they usually speak some English. And that's like, you know, four more languages than I can speak really well. So I, I don't really have a leg to stand on in that regard. But at the same time, I just didn't like there was I didn't feel like I was being given any kind of message. No, and I don't think it's a it's a language issue on this one. We're not really necessarily picking on the lyrics. We're not picking on his diction. We're not really picking on how, his pronunciation of anything. It's more that it's just. I mean, you can speak Swahili and make a rad melody. Like you know, sure. it does it, 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 I, I've heard lots of great melodies in different languages. It's just the melody, the vocal melody here is strange. Yeah, you know, it, it's just it was a strange choice of melody, and it didn't resonate with me. I kind of get the sense that this guy wants to be like a thrash singer because so it'd be a better fit. Yeah. Cause you know, despite the, um, the melody, not really having much uh, of a, of a character to it. I did feel like the actual sound of his voice on this one. And then there's another song later that we'll talk about this more of a thrashy kind of song. I felt like his voice sounds more at home here. Yeah. With, the, with like the actual, the tone of it and, um, I kind of feel like he wants to be doing more of a um, power thrash kind of deal with his singing. He, he can do that a lot better, I think. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, I, I'd be interested to hear that. I'd be, I mean, this whole band kind of made a power metal record with thrash metal production and tones and ethics. So maybe they should just make a thrash metal record. Right. I yeah. Mean, we could use a little more of that these days. It's just weird to say because, in, you know, 10, 12 years ago, we had too many freaking thrash metal bands around. But um, yeah, I don't know. It just, that was just kind of it for me on that one. I don't really have anything else to add other than it just kind of meandered. And it it started cool and I got got a little excited then it just kind of meandered and I was, okay. Yeah, exactly. Um, Yeah, then we get the title track, right? Empires in the Sun. Yes. Uh, Spoken word intro, which is kind of cool. And I, I read somewhere, I did not, I don't remember the guy's name, but this is a narrator who has appeared on some other metal albums, including some Blind Guardian records. Oh, cool. Um, Maybe he did Nightfall on Middle Earth. That sounds right. Yeah. 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 So it's, it's, it's a name, some British guy. And, That's uh, neat. And I kind of liked, I thought the text was kind of cool. I, I looked it up. I don't think it's an existing English language poem or anything as far as I could find. Some so I, you wrote. Yeah, yeah I, th- I think it's, it's original and I, I thought it was pretty cool actually. Me too. Me too. Um, wish the song was as cool as the intro. Um, yeah. It's, it's okay. Um, I didn't have any specific um, gripes about it. I just thought that, you know, it had this epic spoken word intro and it's the title track. Right. Like, 
you, you gotta like, you gotta bring the heat when you're, when you're crafting a song like this. You can't, like, you know, when, when we had a song on our record, I don't want to compare everything in the world to our record, but it's what we know, because it's, it's our creative process. When we had the title, we were gonna have a title track, Keepers of the Flame, it, it better be something special. You know? right. it, better be, it doesn't have to be the best song on the record, but it's gotta be unique and it's gotta stand out and it's mm-hmm. gotta be separate from the other ones in some way, shape or form, whether it's a vocal melody, a lyric, um, a chorus, um, a vibe, mm-hmm. a style of song, something. And this just is pretty middle of the road. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't, it didn't, I didn't have any problems with it. It, it didn't bother me at all, but it didn't quite, I, I, I I'm having trouble coming up with much to say about it. Yeah. You know? At this, at this point in this record, this is where I start having trouble continuing. Um, and I, it, it's kind of, it, it was kind of kicking my ass a little bit at this point, if I'm being yeah. honest. And I was, and I, I did make sure to go back and listen to everything a couple of times. I didn't give up. Um, Cause you know, if we're going to talk about things on the internet, we got to give them their due. Um, but there just wasn't a lot to grab on onto here at, at all. It was just, it was okay. Um, the same I, production issues kind of persist, but. I wrote down that it was one of the stronger songs in the middle of the album, but. So uh, certainly, certainly yeah. it is. Certainly it is. Um, but it just, again, like it's, I was expecting more, I guess. I heard that, I saw the title, I heard that intro. I'm like, okay, come on, give it to me. And man. yeah. <laughs> it was like expecting to get punched in the face really hard and like you know just getting grazed on the forehead going, yeah that was it <laughs> yeah and it's true at this point like if you're listening through all in one go it really does start to become a slog because of the production like my ears are just kind of tired of trying to pick out the 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 melodies and the and the yeah. individual instruments from the kind of uh haze that comes about from having that wall of sound yeah and even even on a song even on albums where this type of production works like for example primal fear um they they have like million dollar production though you can you can do production like this that works if you go to vancouver and pay mike fraser a whole bunch of money to mix your record you know um but it does those albums do kind of kick my ass a little bit too i don't find myself spinning Primal Fear albums front to back a lot. I find myself cherry picking songs to listen to right. when I want to listen to because it is sensory overload. And that's kind of where I'm getting at here. Is this is kind of the same thing, but it's not million dollar production. It's, you know, a little more working class than that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, I guess no, I don't, we don't want to harp on a song we don't have much to say about too much. So, um, we move on to a, a song that I found weird again, The Old Generation. The Old Generation. This song kind of made me angry, honestly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, so it picks up musically first. It it picks up the pace, you know, from the last one. Um, and again, there's just nothing memorable musically going on here. It's all... It's a little faster, you know, a little riffier, but then, but then the lyrics, man, it's just like, man, I don't know why you would why you would do this but it's one of these like remember how great things were in the past like 15 years ago and i just it's talking about there's all these lines in there about like you know what's wrong with this new generation it's this absolute kids get off my lawn kind of thing but but these aren't old guys like i don't know 
I, I think feel like they're probably about your age at most, yeah. right? Well, yeah, exactly. I mean, they're probably. I guess they're maybe forty. I'm a forty year old man. I don't. Yeah. I don't have a. I don't know. I don't. I don't understand everything the kids do these days. But I'm also not going to get mad about it because I got fucking better things to do in my life. Like you know, have fun and get on with shit. You know. So. I don't know. Yeah, I, yeah I, this was super cringy. I, I don't know if they're making some kind of personal statement here or if they're just, or if this is somehow supposed to be in the context of, a, of the story of the album. I, it, it seemed like a very odd lyrical choice and it kind of came out of nowhere. Yeah, I mean, some of the lyrics in here, they're talking about like, we're now the old generation who like experienced, I forget the line exactly, but we, we, we know the the spirits of radio and like the summers were brighter and we spent time outside and we, it just really. Yeah. Let let me, let me just, yeah. And you know what, let me just talk to everybody out there who's getting a, like me, who's starting to hit middle age, you know, every single person in every generation ever, it's the history of mankind thought that the shit they did when they were younger was the best thing ever and was better than what the people now are doing it. Your parents thought it, their parents thought it, and guess what? The only reason you think it now is because you're old and stupid. <laughs> That's the only reason. And I'm, and you know, I'm 40. I'm just, you know, do I miss a lot of things about the 90s and the 80s and even the early 2000s? Sure I do. But I'm not going to sit around and like yell about it or come down on younger people because of the things they do you know i'm gonna try to join in join in and try to stay a little bit younger you know like why why get lame yeah i mean the idea that people were somehow like fundamentally better in the 80s is just ridiculous to me i feel like you think about that for five minutes people were assholes in the 80s let me tell you i lived it i was conscious right. People were assholes in the 90s and they're assholes now you know, yeah, it's nice. the more things change, the more they say the same. It's not that much fucking different. Things weren't so much better back in the day. And sorry, they just weren't. You know, we had our problems then. They're different than the problems we have now. Now we had the COVID epidemic in the 80s. We had the AIDS epidemic. We had the crack epidemic. You know, we had all kinds of shit back then. You know, the 90s, we had all kinds of shit back then too. We had, you know, race riots back then too. It's not like anything has fundamentally changed like it's just it's all the same you right know, like i'm not can, saying not saying that people are better now than they were then it's just it's, it's just the, it's, it's the same people. shit it's the same it shit. seems like it seems like such a bizarre choice to kind of shoot yourself in the foot to like essentially ask younger people not to listen to your album <laughs> that just and seems like yeah a, it's a bad marketing tactic if nothing yeah. else and if they're talking about like how great it was to listen to music on the radio i mean that's I, I couldn't help but laugh though because like it wasn't if it you know if it weren't for the internet which they're all mad about seemingly nobody would be hearing their mediocre album this album would not be exist in the 80s or 90s first of all second of all the radio wasn't so great in the 80s or 90s it's not like slayer or testament or halloween or accept or any of the or were on mainstream radio in the 80s in north america it's not like, you know, Blind Guardian was on the radio in the 90s or any of these bands. Like this never, I don't know where this weird level of nostalgia that listening to the radio has sucked forever. Like right. straight up. And there's cool, there's cool shows on the radio. We still have KISW Metal Shop and stuff, 
you know, there's cool, there's cool shows on the radio if you want to hear heavy metal, but it ain't like it's ever been a mainstream thing. So no. I don't know where this crap comes from. No, um, and it's just, it's, it's kind of funny to me that, you know, when you go back and listen to the music that's being idolized now, you know, from the 80s, it was young people's music. And occasionally, like in the case of, I don't know, Twisted Sister or something, they were singing about how it was young people's music. Yeah. And now we're singing about how it's old people's music. It's just, but without a hint of irony that I could detect. It just- No, I, 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 I was super, I was super confused by this. Like this, this should just go on that stupid Accept album. You know, they should just cut this song out and give it to Accept because they could probably do it a little bit better. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, no, this, this song sucks and you know, it's it's not. I mean, I'm sorry, guys, if you're listening from Belgium, but this song is just the. the I I'm with Rev. It kind of pissed me off, and um, and the music's pretty mediocre on it too. So yeah, there you go. Yeah, I found it really alienating. You know, and especially because a lot of the lyrics are, I don't know. I'm not. I wasn't picking up on all of them, but then these came through loud and clear, and I was kind of like, well, fuck all the lyrics. I can't understand too. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I, I get you, man. And it just I, again, I might we might be way off base here with how we're interpreting it. Maybe it's I when I heard saw the old generation, I thought maybe this falls into the whole empire thing of like, you know, some kind of like, you know, generation of like this empire many, many, many like centuries ago or something. Right, yeah. It was a reference to like ancient times, but. No, it seems like a reference to like the 90s and 80s on planet Earth. Right. Actual time, <laughs> which was very, very, very strange. Right. Um, so yeah, to hell with that. <laughs> <laughs> well, moving on, I guess, uh, we get to Winterfall. And I actually like this song, you know, maybe it's because the last, the last one sucked. And then the one before that was kind of generic. But this one, I kind of liked. Um, I was I didn't expect it. You know, it definitely stands out a little bit. It's yeah. got a bit of a different thing going on. The bass sounds better here than on any other song on the album. It has that bouncing quarter note riff, which you know me, I always like that. I do yeah. it all the time. Um then there's a gallop that comes in. Um so and they have like a slower pre-chorus, so we get some tempo shifts, which we haven't really got before. There's a few memorable memorable moments. Um the interlude is like the instrumental like interlude the bridge is actually pretty cool yeah um but the bass just does its thing again in that part where it just starts three stooging it up and it's I'm like oh come on man why i was yeah. enjoying the guitar <laughs> harmony so much and they but i'm wine 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 oh man springy mcgee at it again but you know i i thought this song was actually quite enjoyable um yeah i mean this one was kind of more it's kind of like the the earlier track more than meets the eye but kind of the better version like this one kind of yeah maybe actually pulled off what they were trying to do on that first one um but again i'm kind of like are you sure you guys want to be a power metal band because it, it the lyrical themes the sound of it it's all much more kind of a it's like they want to be doing something heavier i mean they're talking about the end of humanity and there's this like big kind of chugging riff and they're kind of it seems like they're enjoying making a bit of a heavier sound here yeah, um, and to some extent, it's working for him. I mean, this is one of the. I, I, I thought it was weird. Like, I didn't. I thought the the vocalist was making some odd choices in the chorus. Like, it was yeah. not, not what I would consider a very uh, catchy, or uh, singable chorus melody or anything. But it's still, 
didn't kind of bug me like a lot of the more power metal songs on this album do. No, it, it's, you know, th- like I'll say this, for a power metal album, the choruses are weak throughout, except for Exquisite. Exquisite actually is a very memorable anthemic chorus. Yeah. But by power metal standards, which are supposed to have soaring, epic, memorable choruses, that's yeah. the point of a chorus, is to kind of be the most memorable part. Um, it really lacks. But this song, at least, I thought the riffs were more interesting. I thought the rhythm section was actually rocking out a little more and doing some more, doing some cooler stuff. Um, and yeah, like they have that little bridge section, which was pretty neat, but so it's, it's one of the, it's one of the cooler, so- cooler songs on the record. And I was happy to hear it after the last one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and then we get to itching and aching. <laughs> itching and aching. That's right. I forgot the apostrophes. Um, so this one's about VD, I guess. Um, I don't know. It was weird. Uh, <laughs> it is very, very fast, very heavy, and this one bo- does border on thrash metal. Yep. Uh, so. Itching and Aiken, Dead-Eyed Society, which I didn't, honestly, I didn't quite grasp all the lyrics of this one, but maybe I was just <laughs> triggered by the old generation was like, <laughs> oh, not this shit again. I don't want to hear your thoughts on society, Thorium. But, yeah. um, but I, I definitely got a little bit of a from what they're saying, I got another except zombie apocalypse kind of vibe from. This yeah, <laughs> and honestly, at this time, at this point in this album, I just didn't give a shit about this song. I was yeah. like, whatever. It's I was like, let's just. I I, I kind of saw what was coming next. And I'm like, well, let's just get onto that and see if something more interesting happens. Because yeah. I was not I was not feeling this one. It is faster. It's heavier. I mean, it maybe it is like an indication musically where they should go. It's fairly cohesive, but. Again, nothing, nothing really to talk about. And it's a stupid title. <laughs> yeah, it is. So I don't, un- yeah. I, and I don't understand why it's called that. Um, I just, I just don't. I'm confused. But again, like you said, there's like I, I don't want to harp on these titles too much. There is an English a second language issue, and I'm not gonna, you know, slam anybody who's trying to sing in a language that's not their native. Write lyrics in a language that's not their native tongue. So you know. But I am going to chuckle at it a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I went looking for some interviews with this band or something that might help shed some light on some of this, but I didn't really find much. Um, yeah, it was a very confusing song. But yeah. Aren't they all? <laughs> well, yeah. So now, uh, having worked our way through the first, I don't know, three quarters of the album, now we come to the epic. Oh, boy. We do. Kino 2 in three parts. Um, well, I, I would call it more like one and two, six, three, six, and two, like 16 sparks. Cause the intro and outro are just kind of like the intro to the whole record, you know, yeah. though they were very nice. I'll say that again. Like, yeah. I actually quite liked both of the little yeah. minstrel songs here. The, the, yeah. the vocal harmonies are on point yeah. and the production of the acoustic guitar and everything it was beautiful. The, the, the minstrel like intro, that was beautiful. I was yeah. like actually getting pretty stoked. I was like, this is, uh, that's cool. Um, so I was like, well, maybe this is going somewhere. Um, and you know, the whole reason I suggested this album was because I, I went on here, I listened to the intro and exquisite. And then I was like, Oh, there's like an Epic song. What's this? And then I listened to the intro of that and I was like, Oh, cool. I go, this could be interesting. <laughs> Well, hey, you know, that's, that's, that's kind of the thing in this podcast. We're discovering yeah. stuff. Sometimes it's going to rule. Sometimes it's not going to rule so much. That's okay. 
Um, but yeah, I, I really dug the the acoustic intro. Um, yeah, again, it's just it's just a very very short one. I, honestly, they could probably make a song out of it, and I would have been happy. Yeah. Um, like then it goes into the golden shadow, which is thirteen minutes. Yeah, and what this is, I actually did a little bit of research, and I admit I did learn something. Um, this is uh, telling the story of a famous battle uh, known as the Battle of the Golden Spurs that happened in the year 1302. And it's really significant for the Flemish people um, because what happened was there was... Um, it's kind of started in these trade disputes, actually, as I understand it. But basically, the French aristocracy was kind of lording it over Flanders, and they were trying to control exports, right? But then the British under King Edward were kind of going around the French and trading with the Flemish kind of artisans and, and people directly. The French didn't like that, so they came and started clamping down on stuff and oppressing people. And so the, then the Flemish put together an army of foot soldiers with pikes that were really well trained and basically um, kicked the ass of an army of French cavalry, French nobility on horses and really stuck it to them. And it was a huge humiliation for the French at the time to lose so many noble, uh, expensive, well-armed knights to a bunch of uh, Flemish everyday people. So it's like a victory for the, for the Flemish and a victory for kind of uh, the working class against the aristocracy, which is why it's, and then kind of got forgotten for a while, but then when nationalism became more of a thing in the 19th century, then it kind of got taken up as like, yeah, this is, this was our big moment in history. Yeah. That's so, cool. That's, that's, that, yeah. that's pretty neat. Um, so that's a cool story. Um, now, you know, I might want to go listen to this again with that context. Um, so I'll say this about this song. It does have a lot of different dynamics, has a lot of different parts on it. You know, it starts off pretty heavy and fast, then it goes into like a ballad-like middle section, and then it takes off again for a minute, then it goes to an acoustic part again, and then it kind of like gets really epic and it just kind of solos all the way home. So they are, you know, going up and down, and I, I imagine they're telling the story of this epic battle throughout these different parts. Right. Um, I just don't know musically if these parts really live and exist well together. Right. You know, and that, that's, that was my only thing. And I, and I didn't, I'm not sure that I came to a conclusion about that other than if I can't come to a conclusion of that, probably not to some extent. Um, but yeah, I didn't really get the sense of a of a shape of it that really felt unified at all. I mean, that no. said, I I actually enjoyed this more than some of the other tracks on the album because it's made up of a lot of little parts, and then once one of them kind of started to get old, they'd shift to something else. Yeah, and as I said before they're they're pretty good at making tight little transitions and uh, and kind of moving from one vibe to another. Yeah, it does kind of showcase some of their strengths in that regard. Yeah, it was. I wish it wrapped up a little better. I mean. The outro soloing, that's just kind of wanking, you know, yeah. just ending on, it was a lot. It was like a minute 40 or two minutes, almost two minutes of soloing at the end. It was a lot. So I was like, <laughs> okay, is this solo going to end or are we just going to go? We're just going to go out on this, I guess. This is um, what happens when you let the guitarists run the band, you know? I guess so, huh? <laughs> uh, without any checks and balances, for sure. Um, yeah, it, it's, it definitely is a lot more enjoyable than I would say almost every song on the record 
Um, you can tell it's thought out. You can tell, you know, they had a vision for this song, you know, when they wrote it. Again, it's just like, like you said, the overall, the, the individual parts are cool and some of the transitions between them are cool. And it's nice that they do something to keep you, hold your attention. But I just, I don't see a great flow or a real big picture when it comes. It doesn't no. seem like there was, I, I wish there was, you know, when, a lot of times when there's, when you write it, like I've written like, I think one epic or maybe two in my lifetime. And one technique that I always like to use is something musically, whether it's a melody or a note or a lyric, something to call back to something that happened sure. earlier in the song, just mm -hmm. so you can make a connection with the listener that we are still listening, in fact, to the same song. This is not a different one. It shouldn't, I'm not trying to write a song that meshes three together. Right. Like there should be some kind of dynamic, some kind of vibe, some kind of thing that connects all these different parts together. And I feel like that's not quite here. Yeah. No, no. And then it's, it's a lot of little parts that kind of seem slammed together and there's not really a unifying idea. There's not, there's not something to hang your hat on. Like sometimes it can be helpful in an epic like this to have just like one riff that you groove on for, you know, what would be a ridiculous amount of time in a shorter song, you yeah. know, as, as like a, as, as a progressive metal fan, as like an Opeth fan, I, I totally get like, sometimes you're going to have a 12 minute song and two and a half of those minutes are going to be one riff. But then that's something you can really get into. You're like, oh, I can't wait for that riff to kick in and I'm just going to groove on it for a while. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then it makes the rest of it seem shorter in comparison because you have something that your brain is like, all right, I get it. This is the centerpiece of this whole thing. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there was like, there was definitely a lot, uh, you know, I've, again, like I said, I've written songs like that where, uh, you know, a melody, like, yeah, one part kind of hammers for a while or there's a melody that's continuous for a long time. It might the dynamics might change around it. Right. You know, the, sol the soloing, a melody, a harmony, speed, um, feel, but it is one kind of melody for a long time. And the, there, like I said, there just has to be continuity and it does have to tell a story. And I don't, I'm sure it does lyrically. I just don't know that it does musically. Yeah. Right. There's a couple of guest singers on this one, um, including Aryan Lukasen from Arion is on this yep. song. Mm -hmm. And I'm not sure actually who the uh, the female vocalist is, but I did think that was an interesting part. She seems to be representing some sort of villainous, presumably French character who's kind of uh, doing like a mustache twirling kind of evil monologue. And that stood out. Um, but I'm not, I, I, I didn't catch who that was or what else yeah. she's done. No, I'm not sure either. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's as a whole, it, it didn't bug me, but it didn't really again, it didn't make me go, I need to go listen to that again, because that's no. a cool story. And, you know, for me, you know, you're much more into the prog stuff than I am, but I do like some longer songs. And, but for me to be into a 13 minute track, it's got to be pretty, it's going to be pretty amazing. Yeah. Well, all in all, it sounds like we're both in agreement that what you could do as a listener here is just listen to the minstrel part one, and then go read the Wikipedia article on the Battle of the Golden Spurs in silence, and then listen to the minstrel part two. <laughs> and you know, great, it is a great song. Right. <laughs> It'd be awesome. But yeah, like, I don't know, maybe they should do a thrash, they should do like a thrash metal album and then an acoustic, like, you know, folky side project. And then yeah. maybe they'd have something because they seem to do those things very well. It just, for me, the power metal element of it doesn't really, didn't, wasn't really connecting here. Um, unfortunately. Um, well, acoustic and thrash can coexist. I mean, think about the intro to 
battery, for example. Oh yeah, totally. You know, yeah, you, you can do that. Um, so, you know, again, um, as a whole, I mean, the production was a big issue for me, but I don't know if really good production would have saved it. Um, I don't, I don't, I don't think, think so. it would have. It definitely would have probably made me enjoy it more. Uh, it would, it would, I would probably, if the production was better, I would probably say, Hey, we got about three or four cool songs here. Yeah. This stands. I think we have one really cool song and a couple acoustic pieces. Yeah. That's kind of where I'm at. So, you know, yeah. all in all, the, I'm, this is not going to be making my recommended list and, you know, but Hey, like I said, listeners, you know, that's just my opinion. Well, here's the great thing about the fact that it's not the 80s and it's not the 90s. You don't have to buy it. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Like, I I would not in good conscience recommend that someone go spend their hard-earned money on this based on my recommendation. Mm -hmm. However, they don't have to. I mean, they can go, you know, find it on YouTube, find it on Spotify, give it a listen, and uh, if they love it, then great. Yeah, and and that's kind of the whole point of this podcast is for us to bring awareness to these records. And, you know, just because we don't say, Hey, yeah, we love this record. Go check it out. That doesn't mean you should, you know, maybe you'll love Thorium and they'll get another fan. And that wouldn't bug me one bit. Like I'd, I'd rather they get more fans than not. So uh, yeah, go, go, go have a listen and, and see what you think for yourself. For me, you know, it just didn't work. And, you know, again, bands, if you're gonna sing, if you're gonna sell and market your stuff on the internet, singing a song about how the internet is bad is really stupid. Yeah, like it's just doesn't. If, if if you now if you're gonna like go offline completely off the grid and sell and just be like, you know, we're gonna give our get a, get a record label and tell a label not to put it on the internet and like just have it in record stores and give it to radio stations, then you know what? Go ahead, because then you're at least living it. But if you're like, if, 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 if you're using technology to sell your album and to write and record your albums and yelling about how much you hate technology, it's just sounds really fucking cringy. So, yeah, I mean, heavy metal that. is a, heavy metal is a niche enough thing as it is. Like, I don't understand why you would go and try to like make your audience even smaller by like trying to create a little in group of cool people that, that you're singing about because we already are a pretty small group of people, you know, percentage wise on the planet who enjoy this kind of thing and get really into it. And I don't know why you would try to make that group even smaller and why you would try to talk about how, you know, wrong headed our society is when it's the same society that heavy metal is a part of, you know? It is, know. You know what, like our, there, there are wrong, uh, let's not pretend that our society is all no no i didn't mean that there are there are wrong-headed things about our society but they go back hundreds of years and they've been the same wrong things about our society for a long ass time you know and are there disadvantages to technology sure are there are there are there does the internet cause some problems yeah but you know who causes who the people you know who the beings are that cause the problems behind the internet humans and humans are using other means that aren't the internet to cause similar problems since we've been around. So, you know, just, just stop, like, stop. Like, no, like if you're going to do it, like, I like, like, you know, Jeff Tate, I've talked about this before, like Jeff Tate did it very cool in the eighties where it's, he comes at it from like a very sci-fi perspective. Right. You you can sing about the evils of technology from a, 
better perspective than, oh, we used to listen to the radio, and now people just download stuff off the internet. Like, if you want to write a song about, like, big evil and tech, like, just do it in a cool way. Put some thought in Put five minutes of thought into it. You know? Yeah, give it, give, give me a reason to listen to it. I mean, I, yeah, I don't want anyone to think that I'm not up for criticizing the insane society we live in, because I absolutely am. It's just that I don't think that they're doing it in a constructive way here. And, and I think a lot of people don't really do it in a constructive way just because they want to feel a certain way. And just not bitching. They're bitching. Yeah. They're, they're, they're bitching. And, and, it's, and it's just weird nostalgia for, I guess, nothing. <laughs> you know, I don't know what, what, why you want to live in the past or constantly harken back to how things were so much better in the good old days because you can't go back. Yeah. So you might as well just shut up and start enjoying your life. Yeah. And if you want to, you know, if you want to be critical of society, and that is a major part of heavy metal, like in thrash, as we talked about, or in, you know, I don't know, today, uh, when I was working, I, I just kind of, I don't know, I listened to the whole new, uh, the most recent cattle decapitation album, not oh. related to our genre at all. But like, it's an interesting, intricate album that like, addresses a lot of the problems we're facing in society from a bunch of different angles yeah but that's their whole thing that's their ethos and you, and you can and you can come at technology and, and talk about the you know issues at, about tech it's just but this song and the songs we bitched about with except are just like people getting mad about i don't want to listen to a song where someone gives me a, a lecture about having an itunes subscription right. or having a smartphone or using a gps like whatever dude you do it too the only difference is I'm not singing about it on my record. So stop being a hypocrite. Find something better to write about. Because every, I, I think, honestly, save for probably like a bunch of like 50-year-olds who are never going to buy your album. Like, I'm just all, we're all sick of hearing about it. But anyway, yep. not enough yelling about that. I would like to talk about some more positive things. Let's talk um, about stuff we do like. I will, yes, and we are going to get into our picks of the week now. And my pick of the week is an album I absolutely love. It was a very important album for 20, 19, 20-year-old 20 me when I was discovering um, more, the more traditional sense of heavy metal. And it was uh, for a solo album by Rob Halford called Insurrection from the Halford Band. Um, it's an album that, you know, it's a very popular album. I think a lot of people know and love this album. Um, this album came along, you know, in, in 2000, it came out on Sanctuary Records. And this album came out at a time where, you know, we were just coming out of the 90s where, you know, kind of classic traditional styles of heavy metal were not really a thing, especially in the late 90s. Um, new metal was all over the place. And then in 2000, we get kind of the double shot of Iron Maiden's Brave New World and this album, Halford's uh, Resurrection. And man, Resurrection indeed. This album is pure, absolute, you know, nuts and bolts, classic, old school heavy metal. It's, it starts with, um, I mean, every song on this record. I mean, there's a couple silly ones, like Cyber World's kind of silly. Um, but... And I don't know that this album has necessarily aged that well. Like some of these songs I listen to now and I'm like, I just don't get as stoked on them. I kind of chuckle at them now versus when I was 19. But man, side one on this record, like Resurrection, Made in Hell, Locked and Loaded, Nightfall, Silent Screams, The One You Love to Hate, which features Bruce Dickinson. I love that Holy shit, man. shit. That, 
that a side one is one of the best side ones of any record that you will hear in the last 20 years. It's so good. Um, this, it's a funny story. Like I was actually hanging out with uh, Kevin Deers from a uh, local um, heavy metal radio show on KISW called Metal Shock the other day. And uh, I was helping him, you know, fix some stuff up at his house because I do handyman stuff for friends sometimes uh, on the side. And um, he, uh, I was telling a story about how when I was working, still living in Canada and living in, uh, in White Rock, you know, no, I was working in White Rock, not living in White Rock. And White Rock is a border town just, just across from Blaine. You can see it from the water if you're like in Blaine. You can mm -hmm. see White Rock right there. So it's, it, and I think it's like actually south of the 49th parallel. If it's not, it's pretty close. Mm -hmm. um, so we used to pick up KISW on the radio there. And because we were a little bit closer to, to Seattle. So I was listening to, uh, we were listening to Metal Shop on Saturday during service. And Brave New World had just come out and they played the lead signal, which is the Wicker Man by Iron Maiden. And that was like my, that was the first Iron Maiden song I ever heard. And mm -hmm. I was like, I literally had to stop what I was doing. Listen to that, that tr listen to that whole track and wait until they said what it was so I could write it down and go mm -hmm. get that album. So I went and got that album and then went to see, and then, then lo and behold, um, a few months later, Iron Maiden's coming to town. They're playing the Pacific Coliseum. And they had Queensryche with them, and they had Rob Halford with them. Holy now, I knew, I knew Rob Halford was from Judas Priest. I loved Judas Priest. You know, I, was, it, I, was, I was into Priest by that time. You know, not, I, would, I wouldn't say I was like, you know, really, really into Priest at that time, but I knew the hits. You know, I knew, I knew the, the main stuff. But Halford was on first, and wow dude like this band he had back then which was you know halford obviously on vocals he had pat lackman who was one of being the singer for damage plan on guitar and metal mike uh Schlaziak, i think that's how you pronounce his last name on guitar hell of a guitar player ray riando on bass great bass player and bobby jaromzak who's like a drummer's drummer he's one of those like you know guys that can play just about anything he's one of the, the best drummers on planet earth and it um and this guy Roy Z produced it. And like some people, some old school metalheads don't like Roy Z's production stuff. I love it. I think, I think he did a bunch of Bruce's solo albums too. I think he I did think Chemical, so, yeah. Chemical Wedding and a couple others. Um, I'm a big fan of his production. Um, they went on and oh my God, I was like, what the fuck, dude? Like I, I, was, I was just flabbergasted by that performance. And they handed out sampler cassettes, which had the single Resurrection and the song Made in Hell they handed those out. So I took those back. I drove, I remember I drove, me and my buddy drove my parents' minivan back after the show. <laughs> and we, we literally just listened to those two songs all the way, all the way back. And then I went out and bought the CD the next day. And it became literally one of the most important albums of my twenties. This to me, like, cause I was already getting into like some of the classic metal stuff. You know, I was, you know, at that, by that, by this point, I heard Iron Maiden, I'm dabbling in Iron Maiden. I already knew Black Sabbath, loved Sabbath, you know, was getting into Dio at this point and getting into Judas Priest. Um, then I heard, then this came out and this one, uh, uh, coupled with uh, Raven New World, signals to me that, hey, this music's like actually going to come back. And it really did. You know, this kind of, the year 2000, 2001, this signals a time when 
very classic sounding heavy metal starts to cre creep back into the forefront or not even to the forefront, but just into like a more active scene where mm. it was pretty dead in the nineties for a long time. It was pretty dead. And then all of a sudden it became, you know, if you're a metal head in the nineties, you were like a skid or a dirt bag or some dipshit with a mullet or something like that. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, but this is, a, this is a sentence you never hear all the time. You never heard, you ever heard the sentence genius with a mullet? Like, Nobody ever says that. You ever hear someone go like, man, that guy with a mullet, he was so fucking smart. He was just like solving quadratic equations everywhere. You know, you don't hear that. But anyway, yeah, it, it's, it signaled a time where the, this, this scene started to gain popularity again. And, you know, now here we are all these years later. And it's, and it's completely rolling again. So, yeah. Didn't Dio's Magicka come out right around that same time? About too? that same time, yes. Um, yeah. And, it was like, that was kind of like a bit of a comeback for him too, in a way. And then Killing the Dragon came out a few years after that in the mid 2000s. And that mm -hmm. to me was like, that was, that to me was a real big comeback record. Killing the Dragon is awesome. But yeah, Alfred's Resurrection, if for some reason you haven't heard this album, just get on it. Go get on it because it will blow your brains out. Cool. Well, you mentioned Maiden. So today I brought uh, one of my personal favorite Iron Maiden albums, which is Somewhere in Time. I, this is a classic. It's not obscure. It's something probably a lot of people know, but I just kind of wanted to talk about it because it's not one of the Maiden albums that really gets as much love, I feel like. Um, and I'm not here to say that it's as good or better than Seventh Son or Peace of Mind or anything, really. It's just that I really love this album. Um, it was kind of the, I'd been kind of into Maiden for a while and they were sort of, for a while, they were really my only real classic metal band in my collection. Uh, for whatever reason, they spoke to me in a way that you know, the other bands didn't really, but this one um, was kind of the, I don't know. I just kind of feel like it's my Maiden album. You know, that really happens. Sometimes you find an album by a band and for whatever reason, it's oh, just dude, like. It's that, that's Time of the Oath by Halloween, what I talked about last yeah, week. Yeah, yeah. That, that's the same for me. I get it. And, and the reason I think for that is that uh, I did my first year of college over in the UK and I just uh, studying music over there. I just went over there, was kind of living by myself and student housing and felt like I was a uh, stranger in a strange land, <laughs> as you might say. And so, uh, I don't know, one of the kind of first couple weeks I was there, I think I was just kind of exploring Glasgow, the biggest city in Scotland. And went to one of the big uh, record stores they had there and kind of was digging through the budget section just to try to get a little CD collection going for my dorm room, you know? And I, I found Somewhere in Time on the cheap and was like, oh, I don't know this one. Cool, I'll check it out. And I just listened to it so much. Uh, and it's, it's the perfect album for kind of being in that situation. Uh, what I really like about this is it's clearly written about, I don't know, I think a lot of bands do this thing where they kind of end up writing an album or just some songs about the kind of experience of being a rock band and being on tour and being on the road and kind of this feeling of, of dislocation and disorientation that kind of comes from um, not really living a normal life. Yep. And uh, I think that's kind of what this album is for Maiden. It's really like, uh, for that reason, it feels kind of honest. Like it's, it's got a lot of songs, caught somewhere in time, wasted years, uh, stranger in a strange land that all kind of feel like they're coming out of that experience of of um 
living on the road. And, and for that reason, I just feel like this album just fits in almost anywhere I'm at in my life. It's just like, it feels like an album about traveling and an album about kind of um, being in an odd place. And so, you know, I've just listened to it in so many different parts of the world and, and it's also such a listenable album. Um, and, and that's, it's only one metric of what makes a good album. There's a lot like an album can be great because it's innovative. An album can be great because it's crushingly heavy in a way that something hasn't been before. But I think there's something to be said for an album that you can just put on in almost any situation and have it work and bring something to your life in that situation. So I throw this on when I'm driving on a long road trip. I throw this album on when I'm cleaning the house. It works when there's people in the house. It works when you're sitting around having a conversation. It works when you're making breakfast. It works when you're working out. Um, because it's not like, not every song on here is the most distinctive song in Maiden's catalog, but it all is really solid. And it all is like very much that Iron Maiden sound. And in some ways, like the, sometimes the less distinctive songs in a band's catalog can almost like be the, best demonstration of what they sound like in a weird kind of way um so this is another one where i just i think side a is pretty much flawless caught somewhere in times a great album opener it's epic um it's got the you know it's it's got the guitar minis it's got this catchy melody i love the way it ends they i love the thing that bands do with like you hit the button and they let it ring out um then you've got Wasted Years, which, I mean, Classic. just, yeah, I mean, I think it's just one of the best heavy metal songs ever written. Like, it's just absolutely a top tier song, period, in rock and roll. Um, sea of Madness is just really cool and catchy. Heaven Can Wait is like, got that interesting kind of, that sort of peppy, almost kind of slightly punk kind of sound that Iron Maiden had that really, to me, sets them apart from other metal bands. Mm -hmm. um, and then the second side's cool too. It's got Loneliness of the Long Distance Runner on it, which is a is a cool. It's one of epic the funny. Track. It's one of the funniest song titles I've ever heard. Yeah, it's kind of funny, but it's something I, I think about my grandpa, who's a uh, he's like almost ninety now. Mm -hmm. He still is doing long distance runs. Mm -hmm. I mean, mostly like probably half marathons and stuff. Now that he's pretty old, but he used to do like hundred mile runs and stuff. You can pull a half marathon at ninety. That's pretty insane. Yeah. Yeah, he's he's set a bunch of like, he lives in North Carolina. He set a bunch of state records for his age division. And he's run a bunch of ultra marathons, done like tons of 50, 75, 100 mile races in his life. And like, I don't know. So that's something I just feel a little bit of connection to. And so when I hear that song, kind of makes me think of him, even though I know if he heard it, he probably wouldn't be into it. Because as far as I know, the heaviest thing he's ever listened to is Mannheim Rollers, Mannheim Steamrollers Christmas album, you know. Fair, fair, fair. <laughs> gotcha. Um, and then I love Stranger in a Strange Land. Um, again, that just that feels like a really just like honest, real, I like the emotion behind it. And then yeah, Deja Vu is a bit of a filler song maybe. Uh, it's the only song on here that Dave Murray gets the writing credit on, but I also think it's, it's a cool vibe. I mean, the, the lyrical content, Deja Vu, I don't know. Like we all experience Deja Vu. It's probably not the most inspired subject matter for an Iron Maiden track. Um, but it's a cool tune. And then Alexander the Great, I've made fun of before because it's like mm -hmm. a fucking encyclopedia article. Yeah, it is. <laughs> no, <laughs> but, um, anyway, I just wanted to, to talk about it because it, to me, it's, it's just such a 
it's just such a classic album that really encompasses a lot of what Iron Maiden can do, but in a more subtle way. Um, it was interesting because, you know, that album was a little bit maligned back in the day. Yeah. You know, it was kind of seen as, you know, it's, it's one of their classics, but they start to bring in like a little bit of synthy stuff on it, you know, mm -hmm. um, which kind of was like, I don't remember, was this one, this one was before Seventh Sun, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. So they foreshadow some of the synthy stuff on Seventh Sun. And it's kind of like, it was always a bit of like the, the redheaded stepchild of the 80s albums. Um, but I feel like it's kind of gotten a lot more love in recent years, you know. Um, even like to a point where I think it's got too much love in recent yeah, years. Right. <laughs> but um, it's, it's a wicked record, man. I mean, Wasted Years is one of those songs you could put on several alcoholic beverages deep in the night with like any heavy metal fan in the world and everyone will just lose their shit yeah. it's, it's such an emotional song um i do i do think that the you know there's a bit of a there is more of like a how you put it maybe maybe the emotional is the right word there's a bit of maybe a little bit more of a introspective feel to this record than there is um some of the earlier made stuff that preceded this um not as many of their classics, sure, but it is a very, very cool record. Yeah, it's it's got the introspective thing. It just feels like it's, it, it feels honest to me. Not that the previous ones don't, but this actually has fewer songs that are about topics. It's like they put all of their like historical stuff into the Alexander the Great song. Yeah. And if you don't want to listen to that one, you can turn off the album early or just tune out when that one comes yeah, on. Yeah, fair, fair enough, fair enough. Um, so yeah, I mean, if you haven't heard this one in a long time, maybe it is time to revisit it. If you were one of those people who thought it was too poppy or too polished back in the day, maybe it's time to give it another try. And if you don't think you like Iron Maiden based on some of the other stuff you've heard, maybe give this one a shot. I don't know. Sure. But, um, but yeah, I just picked this one up on vinyl over the weekend and just really happy to have it in my collection because I know I'm going to listen to it all the goddamn time. And I'm also going to look at this hilarious fucking picture of Iron Maiden in the desert yes. on some like random future cars. Yeah. Um, Bruce Dickinson with, yeah. his, with his uh, belly button showing and, and fucking Nico has the like random Coca-Cola hat and just it's hilarious. Yeah, it is pretty funny. Fashion icons, these guys. <laughs> Absolutely, as metal, metal heads have always been. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> All right, so it's interesting that, you know, like your, your pick of, of uh, Iron Maiden was a it was a good segue into our topic this week we're just going to kind of kind of be about you know merchandising branding and you know bands kind of putting their label on things which i feel has always been a thing um in heavy metal music and in, in rock music in general but i think it's become more prevalent in recent years with uh you know music going digital and record sales being a smaller piece of the financial pie um bands have been forced to kind of discover new ways to to market themselves um which i guess creates you know i guess it's hard to tell anyone they're selling out anymore because you know right. the, gr the grimmest of black metal bands have like you know custom alcohols or perfumes or shit now. Like it's, <laughs> i mean who, who's who's selling out anymore I mean, hey, like I'll, 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 we'll, we'll, we'll get this out of the way right now. I mean, our, our band, Greyhawk, we have, if you're watching this, we have a, a custom mead from our friends in Cult Mead down in Tacoma. Shameless plug for Brian and Jen and their meadery. 
down in down in Tacoma. They make some of the best mead in Washington State. We have this one made. It's a Wisdom of the Wizard. We actually helped make it. It's a it's a caramelized honey mead with maple syrup, um, and it's got some cardamom and orange peel in it. It's a tasty treat if I do say so myself. But we didn't stop there. No, we did not. We also made a uh, Wisdom of the Wizard beer with Hop Capital Brewing in Yakima, which is uh, was a kind of a dream come true for me because I'm such a beer nerd and a metal nerd that the two worlds kind of collide. And we actually helped brew this beer. And when I say we helped brew the beer, we didn't come in and do the ceremonial hop dump at the end with a lot of times that happens with collaborations. You know, I'm a beer brewer myself at home and, you know, I have a very large uh, half barrel system and for, for home brewers, it's large. It's a half barrel system I have in the backyard. And I make my own beer and, you know, try to make stuff that's drinkable, but I love the process of making beer. We got to go out there, you know, we mash the grains, we milled the grains, you know, we operated the control pads under the direction of the brewmaster. But yeah, we made this Wisdom of the Wizard Black IPA with them, and there's our, our logos all over it. You know, we branded the hell out of this stuff. We had, we got patches, we got shirts, you know, we got, got a lot of stuff, you know, and a lot of times, and we, I think we have a small merch table compared to what most bands roll through town oh, yeah. now with. I mean, bands roll through town with buttons and lighters and bottle openers and beer koozies. And do we have beer koozies? No, we don't. Uh, <laughs> keep talking about it. Yeah. The big is, beer buddy ever, is, is that buddy yours ever going to make that Greyhawk bacon? Is that? Oh, yeah. I forgot about that. Like, I was, like, was going to make a bacon for us. <laughs> like, there's like, uh, man, like, you know, bands have guitar picks and, of course, the classic t shirts and, you know, it's like we're, we've all become Kiss. Yeah. You know, and that's that's it. And then that's a that's a I don't. It's one of those things where I don't know what to think about it sometimes because I'm like, how much shit do I need with band logos on it? But yeah, you know, I mean, I was just thinking with the with the segue from Iron Maiden. Um, last time I was in London visiting some friends two or three years ago. I remember the first day I was there, I, I got out of, um, I think it's Paddington Station and, you know, walked up onto the street. And the first thing I saw was this lady wearing literally every item of clothing on her body was an Iron Maiden piece of clothing. She had the Iron Maiden shirt. She had an Iron Maiden backpack. She had an Iron Maiden headband. She had Iron Maiden leggings. She had an Iron Maiden belt. She had Maiden like Converse with Maiden socks. Wow. And um, I don't know about the underwear, but presumably, I mean, I'm sure. Iron yeah, Maiden. I think it's a safe bet at this yeah. point. Um, yeah, I mean, God, Man- Manowar had their own condoms back in the day. They were called Warrior Shields, which is oh, God. hilarious. Um, trying to think what else. Like, yeah, you know, every band has their custom alcoholic. Motorhead has a beer, a wine, probably a whiskey. Maiden has a couple beers. Um, they're okay. ACDC put out the worst beer I've ever had in my life. Really? Um, that was disgusting. Um, you can you know, get Metallica's whiskey. At, like, Metallica has whiskey. Almost anywhere now. Yeah, it's, and it's super widespread. I hear it's okay, actually. I hear it's pretty decent. Um, I it's got to it. be better than Lars's drumming. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> I had to get that one in there. Uh, you know, I'm trying to think of other bands. Like, there's, I know, like, there's been lots of bands that have custom, you know, liquor and beer products made or wines or whatever um but yeah i mean iron maiden were they've made everything under the sun like 
Everything. You can get anything with the Iron Maiden logo splashed on it. So, I don't know. It's, it's just, it's an interesting phenomenon. When I go to merch tables a lot, you know, it, when I was playing Stoner Rock too, like, man, some of these bands would roll in with everything. Like, you need to outfit your, you, need, you can get your bong, your pipe, <laughs> your lighter, patches for your vest, your vest, shirts, shoes. Uh, I almost said two because I'm Canadian, but beanie. Uh, two is the Canadian word for beanie. We just use it. It's a French word. I don't know what it means, but it's that little thing that puts on your head uh, that I wear on the podcast when I'm having a bad air day. Um, like, you can just get anything. And I'm like... I did get a Between the Buried and Me grinder for my, yeah. uh, for See, my father-in-law, go. who's a big stoner. <laughs> See, there you go. It's like, I mean, you can just get everything under the sun. And I guess some, like, I mean, the alcohol thing kind of makes sense, I guess, because, you know, with with heavy metal there's always been a certain level of a drinking culture that's been associated with it for better or for worse right um it has so well it's a nighttime culture heavy metal for the most yes, part which so goes, you go out at night you have drinks you yeah. know some people probably take most a lot of metal heads take it way too far you know um which is unfortunate um but you know and i'm not gonna say i'm a saint you know, it's definitely was not a saint in my 20s i'll tell you that um so i guess it, it, it kind of goes hand in hand there i mean um you know we also talked about you know we had, we had a belgian band on the show earlier you know for me belgium's the, the promised land of beer like it's just so much good beer that comes out of there i mean maybe there's a thorium land at lambic out there or something <laughs> um Maybe it's better than the album, you know. But I don't know. It's it's just it's just really interesting to me to see uh, what would have probably been considered back in the day selling out a little bit, which is just like putting your logo all splashing it all over everything under the goddamn sun and selling it to people. And yeah, but I mean, back in the day, I think it was expected that you'd make a certain amount of money through record sales and ticket sales. Yeah, yeah. Not necessarily part of the equation anymore. No. At least not at that level. No. So also the internet's allowed it. So now with you know, with websites, we probably could personally get any of this stuff made. We don't need any connections. We could get gray hot condoms made and have yeah. them shipped to us tomorrow by noon, you know. It, 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 interestingly enough, it has created an entire industry. Like there are websites out there just for bad merch and yeah. so yeah score another point for the internet and these guys want to bitch about the internet who's going to make your fucking shirts if the internet isn't around who's going to make your condoms and your belt buckles and your you know custom crocs or whatever the hell you're going to make next <laughs> so, yeah but it, it, it's uh yeah i mean i i just wonder sometimes like i said sometimes i stand on the edge of a merch booth and i'm like I don't need any of this. <laughs> you don't need anything, but I'm just, a, I guess I'm a t-shirt and a record kind of guy. And I always have been, um, but I guess it's cool. I mean, if people are going to buy it, I'll make it, I guess, you know, whatever's, whatever's going to turn a buck, but um, it does, it does um, this kind of new merchandising craze. I guess it does, Like you're right. It's because, you know, we're not selling as much, music so you gotta have some you you gotta fill the gas tank somehow in the room and a lot of these merchandise things are very profitable like t-shirts are extremely profitable 
Yeah. Well, it also, I think people like it because it's a way to know you're supporting the band directly. So, you know, sometimes I'll see a band and I like them live and I know perfectly well, like, well, I'm probably not going to buy the record. And if I do, I'll never really listen to it because I didn't like them that much, but I want to support them. So I'll get a t-shirt. Why the hell not? It looks cool. Yeah. You want to see them. Yeah. You want to see them be able to fill their gas tank and get the Portland. Exactly. Yeah. So what's the weirdest, can you recall like what the weirdest piece of band merchandise you ever saw was? Um, I gotta say, probably Man War Warrior Shields is probably like yeah, it's 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 really now hard to I've, beat that. Yeah, now that I've told you about that, that might be the one. Huh? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm 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 struggling to come up with anything particular, like other than odd items of clothing, like. I mean, I guess that you, you come across a lot of like wristbands and stuff like guitarists will use. Yeah, thing. or there's like one band I remember was like have these sunglasses. They were like the dollar store sunglasses. They were trying to sell for like six bucks. And it was just like those ones that offer zero. They don't do anything. They just make everything really dark. And it's like they had like the green um, pieces that go back, whatever you call those pieces that go back behind your ears. And right. It's just like, who's buying that? You know, like, it, but I guess I saw some people with them, so some people bought them. Um, There's like, so at Zion's Gate, the uh, like the metal record shop in Capitol Hill in Seattle, there's a pair of Opeth cargo shorts. That's see, that's weird. For ages. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, me, you know, I'm I'm such a fan that maybe I would buy them if they fit. It just so happens they're like too big of a size. But even then, I'm like branded cargo shorts that that's kind of weird dude the cargo shorts are the thing you wear on your day off where you just don't give a shit right and you're just like i don't care what anybody's i don't care what anybody thinks when they see me today like i've given up on looking presentable to the world these are comfortable and i can stick cans of beer on the side right fuck off like that's that's what cargo shorts you don't need to like stick to the brand cargo shorts well, especially because, I mean, I guess that's the thing with, with band branding is you're typically going to be paying a little bit of a higher price to get the band logo on it. Um, yeah. It's not just printing costs. It's like supporting the band and whatnot. But sure. For certain items, it does kind of make you wonder. I mean, well, didn't Kiss have toilet paper at one point? Probably. I mean, <laughs> they, especially during the when the pandemic hit, they probably, Gene Simmons probably got that made right away. Um <laughs> One of the ones that, like, I've always been asked about uh, by band members over the years is, like, women's underwear. And I've always been, like, I kind of feel like a creep yeah. making women's underwear with my band logo on the crotch. Like, I, I don't know. I've always just – it's always felt a little creepy to me, and I've never pulled the trigger on it. Yeah. Yeah, I get that. It just kind of seems a little bit sleazy. I mean, if it's one thing, I guess, if you get, you know – women coming up to you being like, hey, if you make this, I'll buy it. And at a certain point, well, like, all right. I, would want to, I, I think if I was to make a women's undergarment, I'd want to make one that's very high quality and like very like, you know, utilitarian, not like lingerie or something. Like right. something that like would be very comfortable that women could wear on a daily basis. It would be like something they'd actually use. That's like the only right. way I'd do it. But like when, you know, a lot of bands like have like the G string and stuff. And I'm like, man, that just... Yeah. If they want to do it, then let them do it. But I, yeah, I always always felt weird about that. It seems like wishful thinking a little bit, or maybe it would just be wishful thinking for well, Greyhawk. And then that's, <laughs> well, yeah, sure, probably. But you know, it just it, it seems it seems like a little bit of a 
it, a little bit of um, desperation, I guess. Yeah. You know, you come across like a bit of a desperate dude if you're trying to sell women fucking G-string. <laughs> yeah, right. You know, like, <laughs> I'm not suggesting anything here, I swear, but buy this, buy these panties. You know? Yeah, right. God, yeah, yeah, come come see us after the show. We got t-shirts and records and panties. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, let's let me go take a shower first, please. Yeah. So, I don't know. But, hey, if, if any of your bands out there, if you sell women's panties, good on you. It's just not really a me thing. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, maybe, I mean, if we get big enough that we want to be able to give people the complete outfit, just like that yeah. lady in London, like if you want to be able to go out and just know in your heart that there's no item of clothing in your wardrobe or on your person that doesn't have the Greyhawk logo on it, then, you know, maybe we'd be happy to provide, but that's not quite the, uh, the, a good strategy for an underground band. <laughs> no, I don't think it is. Especially if you, if, especially if it's like the typical, local band thing it's it's not gonna fucking go over very well yeah. i don't think so anyway but oh yeah that's just always been a funny one to me and yeah but i, I do think the the lighters are actually a little bit more clever than i initially gave them credit for and i think about that because like at the there was a band here called substratum uh, that had some some members that now are in Solicitor, another Seattle band we played with a little bit. Um, but at Substratum's last show, they were giving away all these Substratum lighters, and I got a couple of them because lighters are useful. Um, and, you know, yeah, for a while, I would pull out that lighter and use it, and I'd be like, oh, yeah, this is my Substratum lighter. And I would think about that band that I probably wouldn't have thought about otherwise. I don't know if so, it was another band, but I remember hearing some band got a bunch of lighters that were, like, blowing up. Like, oh, no. <laughs> yeah, like they're just like exploding. I don't know if it was them or not. I can't remember who that was. But like we got a bunch of, I don't know if they got the, like novelty exploding lighters from some joke factory or they were just poorly designed and they were exploding. But, but you know, I, I think the lighter thing is kind of cool. Like, you know, people smoke various substances at heavy metal shows. So why not? It just, as long as it's like actually printed on the lighter and it's not like a sticker you wrapped around it. Like, well, yeah, that one I'm like, dude, just sell me a sticker and I'll go wrap it around a thick lighter from the gas station myself. Like, I guess I've seen bands that have phone cases. Really? That seems, yeah. That's, that's strange. But yeah. Uh, yeah. I've never liked the band enough to put them in my phone case. Yeah. It's kind of, well, I drop uh, my phone all the time. So for me, I'm all about the otter boxes. Like I need a sturdy phone case because I just drop my fucking phone all the time. Yeah, I was, same here. I mean, look at this. I mean, the audio people can't tell, but there's like half a case clinging oh, to my yeah. phone. <laughs> you, you, you broke half <laughs> that case on you. I just need a new phone. But yeah, I mean, I don't know. I guess there's certain everyday objects like that that like probably don't need to have a band logo on it. But, but there's a level of fandom that, I, I mean, as much as I am a heavy metal fan and i'm a music fan i love going to concerts i get stoked when i see you know that moment when like your favorite band walks on the stage and you're like it's really them it's those dudes that made the music that i listen to so much like yeah i, I get all that but there's definitely a level that is a little beyond me i think about like identifying with being a fan of a certain band certainly and, and maybe that's just because i'm a musician so i'm always gonna have that ego thing of like well but i am my own artist you know i'm not going to identify completely with somebody else's music yeah i guess for me like the merch i mean i'm i think the patches are cool i'm not a, i'm not a patch denim vest guy 
but I think that's cool. I think it's cool that people are doing that again. Um, I love stickers. You know, if I ever see a sticker for a buck, I'll usually buy it, slap it on my guitar case or something, something to that effect. Um, I'm definitely, like I said, my, my go-to is like a shirt. And if, if, if I love a band and I've had a bit to drink, I'm probably going to buy your shirt and all your records. And if you have a zip up hoodie, I'll buy that too. Like, I mean, those are my favorite. Those are because those are the things I wear all the time. You know, Seattle being me being, you know, a Canadian who lived up in some very frostbitten parts of the world. Um, Seattle winter never gets cold enough for me to really justify a jacket for myself. So I kind of live in hoodies most of the year when I, when I need them. So I buy, I buy those all the time. Like I, those are something I buy a lot. And so yeah, keep those things coming. I will say I, I definitely use long sleeve shirts a lot. And that's something that I, I kind of wish I actually would see more of. Yeah, I think it's coming back. It was very, I used to wear those a lot too. Not so much anymore. I started hitting the gym and now long sleeves look a little awkward on me. Right. Um, or they just, I just kind of like walk really weird because <laughs> I put on some muscle. But um, yeah, they're, they're cool, man. And they were more of a thing in like the late 90s, early 2000s. So I think they're starting to come back a little bit. Yeah, you started to get these like four-sided style things where there's a lot of printing yeah. on the sleeve. No, that, that's very old school. I used to have a lot yeah. of those. I used to have a lot of those. I had, a, I had an SOD one. I had a Strappy Young Lad one. And I had an Iced Earth one, you know, back before, you know, Captain QAnon did his thing. Um, oh, by the way, he already, he already, this shit he said, he told the judge that he regretted his actions and he wants a do-over. It's like, oh. it's like, cool, man. Like, which is like, basically, if I, oh man, I didn't know this shit was going to land me in jail. I sure, sure regret it now. Good a do-over. Yeah. To do what again? <laughs> to do what over? To not go to jail. Basically, right. <laughs> get his sorry ass pounded in prison. Um, anyway, no want to give that guy any more airtime. But yeah, I had a bunch of long sleeves back in the day. They're cool. They're cool, man. You you don't see them anymore, but I have a. I feel like they're coming back. I've seen a few more of them around. Um, yeah, I've I've got several, and I just use them a lot. I find that they're like, especially in Seattle in the winter time, they're just in constant rotation because I sleep in them. They go under a hoodie really well and provide some layering, and it's not really a fashion statement. I don't know that anyone necessarily looks their sleekest and best in a long sleeve metal shirt, but who gives a fuck, you know? Well, it was like the classic <laughs> look in the late nineties where people wore like a long sleeve and then they put a T-shirt over the long sleeve. Oh yeah, you know? so, so you was, get the like the the sleeve stuff shining through. Yeah, with like yeah, that was a classic look back in the day. Yeah, but, I guess the classic thing is like the cannibal corpse long sleeve with like the camo shorts and like yeah, dude, Converse I, or something. You I, know? I, dude, I rocked that look back in the day. Oh, <laughs> there's lots of photographic evidence of me in long sleeve shirts, Vans shoes and like skate shoes and fucking camo pants. That was hundred percent me in the two thousands, man. Hundred percent was me. But and no shame. Um, <laughs> but. Uh, it's a, a little bit of cringe when I look back. <laughs> right. uh, I was having a good time, but you know, it's, I, I think, I think long sleeves are cool. I think they'll make a comeback. Um, they're, 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 I, I don't know. I should, maybe I should try getting one because yeah, you're right. Living in a place like this where the weather is very fucking temperate. Um, it, it definitely like when the, when the weather's kind of warming up, it's kind of like the perfect thing yeah. to wear like that with like either some shorts or, or, or just your jeans or whatever it's mm -hmm. kind of like it's perfect for that weather that's 
you know, I guess, God damn it, I have to do like in Celsius, it'd be, it'd be like in the, in the low twenties. Yeah. Like a spring <laughs> fall kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. Know? When the, when the weather's turning either a little colder or a little warmer, it's kind of, it's kind of perfect. So, I mean, I, in general, I, I think it's cool that there's so much merch out there. I mean, it's, it's in a way it's like a golden age because like you couldn't just get any cool merch item for any band you happen to like easily at the click of a button 20 years ago. No. And it was really, it was a lot harder to get the shit made in, yeah. in the, in the two thousands. I can tell you from experience. And now it's, it's you can make shit. even like full rock star stuff. Like I bet if we wanted to make action figures of ourselves, we could do it. Probably. Yeah. yeah. I mean, they, they, with like, even with like shit like 3d printing and stuff, like it becomes yeah. like a lot more realistic. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, I don't know. I guess, you know, it is cool for the most part. I do like seeing signature alcohols and stuff like that. Like if I see a beer with a motorhead logo on it, you think I'm not going to drink it? Like, right. you know, so yeah, I mean, it, yeah, it, to, kind of, to kind of sum it up. Yeah, it is. It is cool. And fuck it, man. Fans keep cranking that merch out, man. It's cool. Like don't even, don't even worry about it. Whatever you feel like slapping your logo on, if you think it works, you, you could just fucking flee your boots. Just go for it. I guess we've got the alcohols. I've yet to see a banned strain of weed. It probably uh, is coming. Yeah, I guess. I, maybe there is one. I don't know. I have had a Willie Nelson joint. And I'm know. sure like some hip-hop guys got their, got their weed, too. Um, I'm sure, yeah. I mean, yeah, I'm amazed it's, that like Fu Manchu or Caius or Sleep. I'm, just, I'm amazed Sleep hasn't fucking, or High on Fire hasn't gone on that shit yet. Yeah, right? And maybe they have down in like California or something. We just haven't seen it up here because it's all it's the all cannabis regional, industry yeah. is very like state oriented. You know? Yeah, it's, it's very regional. It's not a national thing right now, but uh, that could be cool. You know, it'd be interesting. To, I, I want to smoke what Matt Pike's smoking. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I don't know. But I think, uh, yeah, like I said, let's just keep it up, man. There ain't no selling out. Just put your name on whatever your logo and whatever you think you should just make it look good, make it look cool. And hopefully people buy it. Yeah. I mean, it's a good way to connect with other metalheads and like-minded people out there. When you see a car drive by with a sticker of that obscure band you like, or somebody wearing the shirt and, you know, it's, it's a way of kind of signifying that you have that interest and it can lead to some cool conversations. Yep. Absolutely. So, uh, all right. Well, that I think that kind of sums that topic up pretty well. Puts a bow on the show. Um, yep. So we're going to call it a night here um, from the crisp Pacific Northwest. Um, so thank you all for turning in, for, uh, tuning in again to Keepers of the Flame, the classic heavy metal podcast. Um, we got some guests coming up. I uh, just got to figure out how to book them and make sure we can lock them down for a couple of dates. But there's some cool releases coming out and uh, – we're going to be back next week with some more, uh, with another album that we're going to deep dive on. Some more picks of the week. Some more chit chat, heavy metal nerdery. So until then, have a good work week and we will see you next Sunday. All right. Peace out. When darkness falls and hope is alive.